and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Today, we're talking about The Orphanage. We are joined by Peter Ruiz. Um, We've not seen Peter on the podcast since Lovecraft Country, because 2020. So, (laughs) Peter... Tell everybody why you like horror. Like, what are your favorite kinds? Who are your favorite filmmakers? Give us all the stuff. Okay, so my love of horror is very, uh, started with the movie Blade when I saw it very young and uh, the and the moment where that fat vampire explodes terrified me. <laughs> and ever since then, I have been obsessed. And then as I got, as I've gotten older, the thing, the thing that I latch onto with horror films is that they're almost uniquely quintessentially queer is like all horror is queer in some way it is all non-normative like we get we get women with agency um, like which is something we don't see in a lot of in a lot of film and something else that uh really interests me about horror films is that in a u.s context there's usually an increase in horror films every time we have a republican presidency (laughs) and so and and so i don't know what the answer is why that happens but i think that there's something interesting interesting to think about there the kinds of horror films that I love I I've got like the dichotomy of like I want weird supernatural witches I want all of them I want them to be eating children baking them into pies I want them to like merge up out of a bed all of that stuff and then I want the like we've got a little bit of supernatural but it's mostly what is going on inside these characters heads I want that psychological drama I want so it's either super camp horror or it's somewhere where like you leave and you're like thinking about it for three days. Kind of like this movie that we're about to talk about, which is one of my faves. Like, this was a film. Like, (laughs) this was a film. Not to get into my notes, this was a film. It was a journey. It Um, is a journey. (laughs) Uh, And if you want to follow me on social media, uh, you could follow me on Instagram at Peter underscore J underscore Ruiz, R-U-I-Z on Instagram. And if you want to like just look at what I'm doing outside of talking about horror films, you can go to my website, www.peter-ruiz.com. Love it. All right. Well, let's get into some general thoughts on The Orphanage. As we've said, uh, this film is gorgeous. It's Stunning. beautifully shot. I, Sheree and I both assumed incorrectly that this was directed by Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro, because it does feel like his kind of style, even though he was just the executive director. We're not executive director, executive producer. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was just, it's just a, it's a gorgeous film. All the performances were well done. I loved the leading lady, even though I had some questions about her character we'll get to later, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think uniquely, and I think uh, this film, along with like anything that sort of lives in this like Del Toro world, whether he's producer, director, like somehow involved, the sound design of this film in particular is such such a big part of the experience. Like there are some places where I feel like this could be a film, but this could also like be like a radio play and I would be just as engrossed. Like there are moments, for example, like where there are seashells and you hear the dropping of each individual seashell on the floor and like just the specificity of the sounds in the really make this world like shine yes like i it's like i was saying it's a film it's not a movie like if i was back in like my film classes which i would never go back to school but if i were to go back (laughs) 
I'd be like, you mean this film called The Orphanage, not this movie, Professor. Um, <laughs> when I think movie, I think The Shining. I don't think this because it's just gorgeous. And like, it's an experience, the acting, the story, the sound, the even the scenery. This old rundown orphanage was gorgeous. I will never live anything so nice in my life. Um, <laughs> hidden basement or no, I just... <laughs> Uh, Let, let's put run down in quotation marks, please. Because this that is, that is run down in Spain. I don't know what it is. Right? I wanna, America I could never. Like, I've lived I in run down places here. That might be the subtitle of this whole episode and of this film. America could never. Right? I mean, it might be. Let's let's save that real quick. Um, so before, so since we've already name checked Del Toro, I want to actually say who directed the film, which is J.A. Bayona, Bayana, and he also directed Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom. Excuse you. <laughs> I mean, we all got a minute rant. I've got nothing to say. <laughs> and a monster calls. He did that as well. He's all over the place. You know what? <laughs> I will come up with a defense for that later. Um, <laughs> this is a film and he made rent, so good for him, but this is a film and this is art. And so I don't know, maybe also he was like, I directed the orphanage. I can't top that. I'll just do stuff for shits and giggles. Where's Chris Pratt? <laughs> <laughs> and I think we'd be remiss not to not to name drop the lead, Belen Urueda, who is incredible throughout this film. I mean, I think one of the things that I love in general about like non-American horror films is like the level of, of acting that we get. Th- she was nominated for awards for this performance and I don't think we I don't think we see that level of recognition particularly in the US when it comes to horror and so you don't get big names really doing like true horror films. Yeah I looked at her IMDB page and she'd been working. Rightfully <laughs> so. Right this is one of her first this is one of her, this is early in her career. Shut your like, mouth. One, <laughs> she like career, maybe two or three mil, mil, films before this. So get it, girl. She's just I like, just, I'm here, I'm ready. Right, right. <laughs> if you always ready, you ain't got to get ready. <laughs> she was like, when Del Toro calls, I am your Meryl Streep. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, she was just stunning. I, I don't even know. You can't teach the thing she does. There's not a program where you can like sit down and become Laura. <laughs> you are either you are either this actor or you are not. <laughs> That's all it is to it. You can be second, maybe third, um, but you can never. America will never. Um, so yeah, let us get into this movie. Sure. Let's start this off by talking about the fact that kids are creepy. Mm. There is like, and this film is th- this film. While we have an adult lead, is centered around like children and child ghosts. Kids are are creepy. There's just there's just nothing there's just nothing to like say other than that. Like they're are they miniature adults? Are are their thoughts fully realized? What is happening here? Are they working on whims? Are they are they plotting against us? Mm-hmm. I need to know. I was a child once. I don't remember much about it. Trauma. Um, <laughs> but like, I'm just like, were we were we all plotting like this as children? Because I feel like these, I feel like the kid ghosts and this child, Simone, had like a plan from the start. That kid walked in and was like, creepy children lived here before. Let me connect with them. I'm going to hold a seance in my room. And it's like, you can't even read yet. How do you know what a seance is? Leave me, mother. Leave me. <laughs> 
who does not I I don't I don't love children I'm okay with them because people have them and that's just life <laughs> so when I see kids in horror movies I already know it's not a horror movie for me like Peter was on some of the threads where I was like don't make me watch this alone children are involved <laughs> 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 but we also like have to acknowledge like it's a horror movie trope when you start off a film lying to a child you are setting yourself up to die yes. you cannot lie to a child in a horror movie no no <laughs> right. right it never ends well for you or the child <laughs> This right because like the thing the, the thing is is so Laura and her husband have adopted this ha, have a, had adopted this child Simone when he was a baby right and so does he it doesn't feel like they've ever actually talked to him about his past they haven't at all and like they're not even they have like it's a reveal to the audience just as much as it is a reveal I think to the world of this movie when they're looking through the file and they see that he's HIV positive and. I'm just like, you can't, you didn't even tell this child that they're HIV positive. What you doing? You just, just, giving just, shoving, just shoving pills down his mouth? Keeping everything a secret. When parents don't give their children enough information to have agency, I have issues. Because again, childhood trauma. You have to talk to your kids. You have to be like, these pills are because of blah, blah. And maybe also let them know you're not biologically their parents, but you love them if you do. I don't know about this father. <laughs> but if you love I had a them, question with him later, but yeah. You can definitely say, you are not biologically ours, but we love you. So that way they don't find out from the ghosts in the house later on when the ghosts are salty. And they're just like, well, Simon, <laughs> that ain't your mama. Also, you sick. Come play with us. And he's like, what? <laughs> but also let, let, let's rewind a little bit because I think it's important and I forgot to say this that this house that we're in right so Laura who is our lead grew up in this house in this orphanage and then I guess bought it later on to reopen it it's and brought place. a new and, and like brought a new child and I'm just like what are you making up for what are you trying to fix what did you what did you yeah. screw up in the past that you got to reopen this uh, orphanage and also the fact that you lie to your children I don't want you to open up this orphanage for specifically disabled children it made me wonder about her adopted family and what they did to her, where she was like, my fond memories are in the orphanage. I want to go back there. <laughs> yeah, well, and that kind of leads, a, a, it's a good segue into my first note. We Because we opened with her, with Laura as a child and on the day that she's being adopted. And, they're, and that knocking on the wood game is creepy even when they're alive, <laughs> even when they aren't ghosts. Anytime that you have to turn your back and something is happening behind you and you got to turn back to see what, no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not today. Don't you knock on my door. You better text me. We had 2020. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah even when they're even when they're alive and and then and the it's not a nun but the woman who works at the orphanage when she gets off the phone with the family she says that she hasn't even told laura that laura's being adopted so she's already lied to the child from the get-go can you imagine being in an orphanage playing this knock-knock game with your friends and you go in for lunch and they're like actually pack your shit can you imagine <laughs> not even it's more like they're in the middle of this game of like it's like a mixture of like red light, green light, one, two, three, and like hide and seek. And one of them goes to hide and you don't ever see them again because they got adopted. Right? That's the ultimate cheat. You left the house. You didn't just like go hide a new part. You left. You got a new family, which also double insult because 
not only are you winning this game, you got out. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I, I don't know if it's ever clear to me in the film, but I feel like Laura is the only able-bodied child at this orphanage. I will say that's one of my that's one of my questions with this movie is because she's also taking pills at some point. So does she have something as well? I thought the pills <laughs> were because of the stress of losing her child somewhere in her house because I don't remember her taking them before. Am I wrong? Oh, the pills are the, the pills are to help her fall asleep. Okay. The pills are sleeping pills, and then that's how that, that's how she slips herself near death is by overdosing on sleeping pills. Mm. That's how she activates that last bit at the end is the sleeping pills. This kind of segues into one of my notes, which is why are all horror husbands slash dads so worthless? This one is a doctor who can fund her buying the orphanage that she seems to want to go back to live in, but is absent. Like she's like, our son is having problems, and he's like, give him his pills and leave me alone. <laughs> she's like, I'm in stress. I am yeah, in Carlos distress. Is and he's Carlos like, is a mess. Um, I don't even think we actually like hear anything of significance from Carlos until act three. And even then, he... Well, yeah. <laughs> Because I, 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 I have a note about him too. It really bugs me when he leaves her at the house by herself. It, like, and she's clearly very depressed. She's not sleeping. She's seeing ghosts. I would not leave my wife by herself in a house. I, I just don't get it. As someone who likes to isolate when they're having a moment... If I'm seeing dead people and hearing knocking, that's a cry for help. Don't leave me alone for two days. I've gone too far. I've crossed my yeah. line and I do need this intervention. I don't want to admit I need. And he's like, as a doctor, I'm upset about it. I'm going to get in the car. I'll see you in two days. And of course yeah. she's like, that's why I need it. So I can do my own bullshit. <laughs> He's like, I was hotel. Yes. I mean, uh, she's she's isolated to kill herself. I mean, well, I don't think can't... she's I don't think she's going to kill herself. I think no. I I think like she's figuring out how close she can get to death in order to get Simone back. Mm-hmm. Right? She knows that she has to be on death's door in order for these children to talk to her. That's still pretty dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> My thing I'm, is, I'm not. I'm not saying what she did was smart. <laughs> I'm not saying what she did would have been my move, but it was a move. <laughs> my my biggest issue is that like he was never there when the child and the Laura were in the house. He was always somewhere else. Child goes missing and he seems fine with it. He's like, well, mm, we're going to have a bunch of orphans in here anyway. So it'll be like, never happened. And it's like, good, sir. And so like when he like leaves her for two days, which Harley had an argument. He was like, we need to leave this house. She's like, I need two days alone here. After finding out all this like bullshit that is random and scary and like watching this woman get hit by this bus and finding out that she's linked to the house and history and he doesn't go, maybe she's grieving and I should be here or find someone to be here if I can't. He's just like, bye. Which we gotta, we, we gotta talk about Benning, about Beninga too. Beningna. Yes. That Beninga. <laughs> Uh, because like she's because like before Tomas even goes missing, she shows up as a so- as as like a social worker, air quotes, because it turns out she's not. And like it's like a routine check to see if this house is gonna be like okay for kids with disabilities. But right. like why is the husband not there for this moment if he is supporting this endeavor? Also, when they catch her in the shed, we didn't get that enough weight. She was in their shed and he's like, if she comes back, I'll call the police. She's a harmless old lady. People don't just sneak onto your property at midnight and grab shovels and run off for no reason. I need us to have more urgency. And also, could she not catch that up? How fast is this old lady? 
Laura didn't want to catch her. Laura was like, this is some nonsense. I don't want it. Also, I'm tired of Laura having to be the one that wakes up at night for her son and for old ladies in her shed while the husband's like, I'm tired. I'm just like, what is your job? What is your purpose, good sir? Why are you here? You let me hear some weird shit going on in my shed. I'm not investigating. So, (laughs) and I got some questions for the Spain, uh, for um, Spain's government. How is this not social worker getting all of Simone's files? Because she had a whole file on him. Knew he was HIV positive, knew he was adopted. I'm sure that there's, I'm sure that there's another dead person we didn't meet. I'm sure she killed the actual social worker. I'm 100% on that. And, and that person was so unimportant, they didn't even show us a body. <laughs> Which feels weirdly like America to not care about their employees. So I also have questions now. <laughs> <laughs> so towards the, towards the beginning of this film, before Tomas goes missing, Tomas starts talking about, I mean, not Tomas, Simone. Simone. <laughs> Too many names, y'all. Uh, Simone, uh, Laura, Laura's adoptive son, starts talking about these imaginary friends that he's playing with around the house and around the lands because this orphanage has like huge acreage for some reason who have really like specific normal kid names. Like one of the friends is Tomas, and I like there's a list of them. Um, six, maybe there, seven. There's six. Do you? God, the kids in the orphanage. Let me. I, why did I not write? down their names. Is it six plus Tomas or is Tomas in that six? Because I think it's six plus Tomas is in the six. But he came in the six, yeah. Before because there's five other kids. But before he before they came, he had two imaginary friends because they were talking about it at the piano at the very at the not the very beginning, but like early in the movie. Before they go to the cave and he meets who, whichever friend he meets at the cave, he has two friends because they're like, are they going to come with us? And he's like, no, they didn't. They didn't sleep last night, so they're staying here. Yeah, for some reason, even in the cast list, they only talk about Tomas. <laughs> They don't, they don't even, they like, I know these other children have names, but they're, they're, they're these children with these real ass names that Simone is supposedly playing with. And mom just assumes they're imaginary friends. And mom, this, this kind of also goes back to one of my, this, I'm getting into my hot take now. We're gonna, I'm gonna have a problem later on. But the mom should know these kids, right? These are her friends. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if she forgot names, but attached to the place somehow, because that's a thing people do. I'm bad at names. They, I don't know how she was there. When they show her the picture, she's like, that so-and-so, that so-and-so, that so-and-so, and she was right. blind. You, I don't yeah, know how so, she played that knocking game, because that girl was blind. You're right. So, <laughs> So these are the so these are the kids all the kids names so we've got so the kids in the orphanage are Tomas Rita Martin Victor Alicia Guillermo and Aurora. Those are real last names. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Aurora Aurora is not one of the children. Aurora is the medium we meet later on. Yes. But like your your child says to you, oh yeah, I'm just playing with my imaginary friend Rita. <laughs> I think that we've established I'm never having children. But if I were to somehow come down with a case of a child and they looked at me in my eyeballs and were like, me and my friend Rita are gonna go play in the basement. <laughs> I'm done with that house and that child. <laughs> I just really wanna know, like, cause like, I don't know, like, I can't, like, I think of like Bobo and like, I don't know, Smoothie Kings. Yeah. <laughs> Who 
Shanks, like weird names for imaginary yes. friends. I don't know anyone who had like imaginary <laughs> friends whose names were like Bob. Like that's the equivalent. Like he was running, he was running around with Bob, like Rita, Martin. Like you get all of these names, and and again, going back to trans points, names of of kids that you knew who lived in this house, and you're not one bit suspicious, right? Like I. I wish a child would run up to me and be like, my friend Joshua Williams and I are going to have dinner. I'm going to be like, no, you're not. Take your child. I'm leaving. I'm done. Well, and so, and yeah, this is a bit uh, switched to one of my notes too. The mom makes some questionable decisions. So right before Simone goes missing, he straight up tells her where he's going. He says, I want you to come downstairs so I can show you Tomas's tiny house or something like that. Then she slaps him and goes about her business. To um, be fair, he was being a little asshole. Because I don't know him hitting children or sick children, but right. he had found out a bunch of shit and he was yelling at her and she was like, I'm trying to do shit today. <laughs> That's why I mean, <laughs> but the minute he goes missing, why aren't you thinking, hmm, I wonder where Tomas's tiny house is? Because that's where he wanted me to go. Horror movie yeah. parents. <laughs> yeah. But before we get to that, like that, like that whole like moment where we're like running around the house for these clues, the scavenger hunt before he goes missing. I like that she's in distress and running around looking for him, but stops to pick up these like giant ass poles, which end up killing him before research. She wasn't like, let me come back to that later. She was like, no, I'm going to do this real quick. I hope it doesn't lead to anything awful in the end. <laughs> Where can he be? <laughs> and I was well, like, also the scavenger hunt before that, when he was alive, when they were doing it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how he thought, that's how he supposedly, she thinks he found out about him being, because he finds it in the drawer with his folder that not, uh, that uh, the woman has given her. So that he's HIV positive. That's how he finds out. It was like yeah. the scavenger hunt that she thinks he set up. I'm sorry, but Tomas, just... is a, Tomas is a miniature adult. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, not Tomas, Simone. <laughs> I, I keep, I keep oh. saying <laughs> Simone is a miniature adult. If Simone wanted to talk to you about the fact that the fact that you lied to him mm-hmm. about his uh, about, or like omitted this HIV diagnosis, like that kid has a lot of agency through like while he's alive in this film and it feels like he would just sat them both down and been like um here's your tea here's the conversation <laughs> um, mom make sure you take your meds and sleep well <laughs> but here's right. what i need to know why didn't you tell me this that was my concern is because the six-year-old seems to be an adult um, and the six-year-old tells you his imaginary friend who's a dead guy in the basement <laughs> told him all these things that you didn't tell him. And you're not like concerned. You're like, stop talking. <laughs> we'll come back to this later. It's like, it's out of the bag. Um, whether he read it, whether Tomas told him, it, it don't matter. It's wrong that he found out this way at the age of six, <laughs> all the lies you've been like feeding him. Um, and it's also another sign you should maybe leave this house. It's not a healing house. It's not. <laughs> it's not going to save your family. Bad. There's bad energy in this house, as we find out later on. Ain't they, though? Um, yeah. yeah. So just to explain the scavenger hunt, because it's important to the ending, is that so Tomas teaches Simon the scavenger hunt before he plays it with Laura. And it involves hiding someone's personal possessions and then like uh, around the house. And when you find the final possession, 
you get a wish, right? Right. So that's important. Is that we, is that we're, we're we're doing this scavenger hunt in order to earn a wish? Which yes. is also something my six year old should not be educating you on, Laura. I'm gonna need her to really look at her parenting choices because it's a single family, <laughs> it's a single parent home because the father's never there and never invested. So I need her to do. And the she wants to have like five. And she wants to have like five more. Five disabled ones. Five disabled children. She can't even. can't even take care of her one. Which is basically this has been my one of my points is that can we talk about parents in horror movies who are hiding shit from their kids, (laughs) and that's always part of the issue. We covered how many movies this season where the parents did some shit or lied about some shit, and that's shit that kills everybody in the end. Um, So I think that this is just another sign that you talk to your kids. Truly. Maybe that's what horror horror is like. (laughs) Maybe horror is just a way for us as artists to be like, you know, parents, you really fucked us up. (laughs) Right? Right? If you sat us down in the beginning and been like, look, we fucked up. Oh, (laughs) here's your given circumstances. How can we help you navigate them? As opposed to being like, like, everything's fine. It's, I, I, I would understand like a sense of guilt from Laura if like somehow she was responsible for Simone ha- uh, being right. HIV positive, but they adopted him with this knowledge. Like, mm-hmm. like no one is at fault here. Like there is no blame to be had. No. Right. We should and, be eating shame pie. And the sooner you tell him, the sooner you can start helping them figure out how to navigate the world. Um, with this, as opposed to being like, you're fine, go do all the things. <laughs> um, you can like literally be like, hey, because it's the creepiest scene for me is when he knows, but we don't know he knows because he's been fed the stuff from the ghost. And he's like, how old are you? When are you going to die? I'm not going to make it to old age. I'm going to die soon. And I'm just like, this little <laughs> Well, that's that because that's the thing is like, she gets angry at him because he finds the adoption file or she thinks he hid it and, and found it rather than it just being something, this weird ghostly game, rather than assuming something else is going on and not trusting your kid, she gets mad at him. And then he gets mad back and he's just like, you're not my real mom and I'm going to die. The only and time Tomas you're not my real dad. Me, <laughs> t-shirt just that way. You're not my real mom, I'm going to die. And Tomas told me. That is the merch from this podcast. I don't know who we got to talk to. That's the merch. That's the t-shirt. That's the mug. <laughs> you know, you know like one. Fiona Apple's song, Shamika said I had potential. Tomas told me I'm going to die. <laughs> yes. Yes, Because <laughs> Tomas is on everybody's business. Um, for kids, he is a little bit of way. He, for a kid in a mask who died 40 years ago, he see a lot. I get mixed up. So after after um, we have this creepy moment where where Simone is just like, I'm gonna die. You're not my mom. And Tomas told me so. We have decided, I guess, that the party that that there was a party that there's that was planned for children with disabilities to be happening at the orphanage, right? Like perspective. Um, like I yeah yeah maybe prospective like future adoptees future orphans I guess are they planning on abandoning these children because it seems like they have parents I don't know um, they had parents thought there because there are parents there like are these parents preemptively planning on abandoning these children at this orphanage just test um, it out <laughs> 
explain all our options. <laughs> um, so they throw this party, right? Um, and Simone, Laura and Simone have an argument before the party even really gets started and Simone runs and hides, right? But as we're like introducing, we don't even really introduce these characters because we don't really give them any agency to begin with. We have all these disabled children running around the orphanage and the party is specifically a mask event. And there's just something that doesn't sit right about inviting a bunch of uh, a bunch of disabled children over only to have them in masks and I'm just like what are you trying to tell these children we're okay with having you over and gathering but you can't but we don't want to see you we don't want to know what you look like but we want you to live in our house yeah <laughs> you're welcome here if we don't have to see you it, it it's a weird it's a weird signal I don't know if that's the party I would have thrown for them <laughs> Maybe we could have just done like a regular tea party or I don't know, a regular Christmas <laughs> cake. Let's all take a picture. But like, like I get the I, I get it for the plot point that Tomas was a Tomas forty years ago was a kid who like wore a mask because he was deformed. He wore a bur- and it wasn't even a mask, it was a fucking burlap sack yeah. with a face painted on it. And so like I guess I guess it's just like, oh, but everyone else seems to be wearing these really well-made comedia masks. And now we have we have this kid running around in a burlap sack, and that seems fine. Questions. Well, and also, also, so after, so we find out later, we find out later that Simone has dressed up as to, as Tomas, and he, he, she sees him in the hallway, and but she doesn't know it's Simone at that, or at that point. But he like pushes her in the uh, bathroom and locks her in, and finally Fingers. her the husband comes. Fingers. Oh, and he like. But this whole scene, she gets fucked up. Because, and then she starts running around once the dad gets her out of there. And he's like, what's wrong? I don't know. Um, and she starts pulling all these masks off these kids. And half the time, I'm like, girl, that was clearly a long-haired, red-haired girl that you just, are you Simone? Are you Simone? I mean, clearly. <laughs> her freak out was... It was a sight to behold. Um, Like I said, the only part of the freak out that I really was like, hold please, was when she was like, let me pick up these like scaffolding poles and throw them against this wall so my son can get out of this basement real quick. Back to running around. (laughs) And I was like, when you just step over that, I, as a person who is not looking for a lost child, but looking for like lost keys and things, I step over LaCroix boxes on the floor I have right there. I step over like boxes I left and meant to take out for recycling. I'm not like, let me put this to the side real quick. And where are my keys? And so I don't, but again, I, I, I am not a parent and I don't plan to be. So maybe, maybe I am missing something. <laughs> I will say though, like beyond that moment though, this, this like freak out is like chef's kiss acting. Like Tis. every moment is earned. And she's just like, even when she, even when she grabs that redheaded, long haired girl that doesn't look anything, anything like Simone. I'm just like, you know what? I believe you. I believe that you and <laughs> your freak out thought that that might have been Simone. She's in her moment. She's in her moment. Well, she also, she also is running on the beach to try to get to that cave that she thinks he's in and like straight up explodes her ankle. Like, <laughs> I don't going. know how that happened. And she and sells keeps... it. I, I instantly knew she can't walk no more in this movie because the actor is like, oh, <laughs> and she drags herself towards the cave and the husband's like, she's acting. I don't know if I signed off for this kind of acting. He's like, get in there. And he's like, okay, but it's cold. <laughs> she's like, I want an Oscar or whatever the equivalent of an Oscar is in this country. I want it now. <laughs> and I'm just like, help her, help her. 
but before we get to the cave though do you all think that 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 was that that was simone hiding as hiding as tomas in the mask or was that tomas that was tomas that was, already disappeared that was tomas, that was tomas. yeah that was tomas because simone was in the basement still be yeah. alive for a second yeah. right because yeah. it, it was like they they really they tried to gig you a little bit but it didn't work no no <laughs> Yeah, it was a choice. And well, like, how oh, that cave moment. Mm. When they, when she took him to the cave when he was alive and well, and she didn't have questions for his cave friends then, I was like, Laura, listen, I know we don't like to get bad news, but also your son is communing with the dead. You might want to, <laughs> might want to not be yeah. here no more. Yeah. So, right. I will say. So this goes to one of my notes. That the use of ghosts in this film were, is really interesting, and it, and it happens a lot. Specifically, this is why I got—I think I got confused about who the director was, because in Del Toro films, ghosts are typically not like in American films where they're all spooky and trying to kill you, and like that's their—they're getting revenge or whatever, you know. They're typically like just—I don't know how to how to put this, but like they're not good or bad; they're just in the middle. And so I think that's really interesting, and the in the and the use of the imagery of Wendy and Peter. I like I like the use of ghosts in this film, uh, and how they're that they're not inherently evil like they are in most other specifically American horror films. Well, there seems to be the common thread that at some point these ghosts were wronged, and that's what we're and that's what we're trying to fix. And so all of their so so all of their actions good, bad, horrific, benevolent, otherwise seem justified in some way by what is either revealed right after the action in these films or during or like right after when we're just like, oh, we're learning about this. We This is revealed later. We have this new information. Oh, maybe I get why these ghosts did that thing. <laughs> like, I can't be mad at you that I can't be mad at you right, right. now. I also would be this petty in death. <laughs> the ghosts don't kill anybody. No, they're trying to live and talk to her son. <laughs> like that's all they were doing. They did nothing. They harmed nobody. Like they harmed each other in this house, this family. Like <laughs> Simone like crushed her fingers and she killed him in the end. When it was all said and done, the ghosts were just there playing knock knock. And they were like, oh, you coming at us? Why? I, I, I'm definitely on team ghost. Um, I yeah. want to pick up, <laughs> I want to pick up your like windy thread because that's one of my notes is that this was a beautiful thread for her because we see her and her son talking about Peter Pan and you're like, that's a strange one, but also we're playing with ghost children, maybe. And then she is windy and it's gorgeous and fabulous. And I was just like, oh no, I'm going to cry a little bit. Um, especially because we all know Peter Pan is based on dead kids. Like, whichever version you want to believe, because there's so many versions on the internet. Like, one is, like, it's J.M. Barry's brother who died the day for his 14th birthday. Another is, it was based on the children that he met from this family he sort of adopted older, later on in life that were, like, met with death a lot. I, we can't get to libraries because it's 2020, so I couldn't get an actual book to get a definitive answer. So I'm just playing with all of these, like, loose threads on who these dead children are in Peter Pan. Because the Lost Boys always feel like dead kids. <laughs> they always do no matter how you like produce it no matter how you like rewrite it it's always like these kids are never aging for a reason and so for them to bring it into this orphanage and be like she's the windy at the end and they're happy to see her again 
I was like, don't you do this to me. I came here for a horror movie, not to have feelings. <laughs> right. Yes. So flash forward, we get we we jump like we we, we meet Pilar, this like psychologist slash cop. ACAB, all cops are bastards um, because Pilar is not helpful throughout this film, uh, even though she's supposed to be a psychologist, right? And Benigna, who snuck in and pretended to be a, a social worker, but then turns out to not be, may have abducted Simone, right? Right. And then, like, and it's like the film li- tells us it's six months later. They're like walking down the street in some random city and they see someone who looks like ben- Benigna. Uh, like with a stroller just like passing down the street and they go to follow her and that bitch runs straight into a bus and gets hit by that bus and dies and I am Ooh. shook I am shook when they from... found her face parts that were still on her body I was like this is unnecessary yeah. <laughs> and how did that da- how did the dad try to do mouth to mouth on this one uh, her... <laughs> he makes choices and they're not good choices because the bottom half of her face is gone. She's got her front teeth on the top, and the rest of the jaw slash chin is somewhere else. And, and when he pulls, when he pulls up, and he's got the blood on it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, um, the the Tomas mask that was just sitting in the in this carriage that is revealed in that same moment, right? And so they're just like, oh, maybe, maybe Beningna's connected to this orphanage. And so they start doing some research. And then it turns out Beningna, 40 years ago, was Tomas's mom, who also just happened to work at this orphanage for with a bunch of with a bunch of disabled children, right? Right. And then we find out that Rita, Rita, Martin, this whole, this whole cadre of children were like playing with this with this physically disabled child he's at his uh his faces i don't even know how to describe the deformity that is on his face but like his face his face is 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 deformed and like they pretend like they're gonna play a game with him and he ends up drowning and that is how tomas dies another reason i don't fucks with kids they evil (laughs) um i'm not sure whether this was intentional or not but they but they killed him and you know what? And you know what Benigna says. Benigna says, "Okay, you kill my child. I'm gonna kill you." <laughs> and we find out the way that the rest of these children died was that she poisoned them. And you know what? Maybe Benigna wasn't wrong. Like Benigna was a Gemini who later in life lost her shit a little bit because she came back to this house and like was in their shed looking for shovels. And I'm like, I can't support that. But like. Well, I'm wondering if she was, if she was just like, well, I can't punish Laura now that she's an adult. <laughs> I can punish this child that exists. Right. When, Nobody gets when, a kid. <laughs> when did that happen? Did it, did that happen after Laura left? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because Laura know, doesn't know Tomas, which I find was a weird thing. He and she doesn't in know. The basement. Tomas in the basement. And then how <laughs> the other five kids know about him? Because when Laura left, go ahead. To be fair, she doesn't recognize it when he's talking about when Simone is talking about these imaginary friends and she's and he's right. like Martine and Rita and all these people you grew up with. Right. Oh, it came across to me as after Laura left, they were like, We're down a knock knock person. Let's get into some shit. And found Tomas a secret house and was like, Here's a kid in a bag. Let's play a trick. <laughs> and shit escalated. And that's how Tomas ended up dead and um, Beninga ended up pissed. And so I feel like that's the gist. I, I'm sure more happened, but like that's the rundown I picked up on. <laughs> I, 
I just I, I just want to know what like what possessed these children to kill Tomas. Did they do it on purpose? Was it an accident? I don't know. I am unclear. Children well, are top- actually evil. I'm gonna say that right now. That's why I'm afraid of them little bastards. <laughs> I'm like, you got how many kids? I can't go to your house. Um, they're naturally evil because they're kids. That's just who they are. Um <laughs> The cop does say that the kids weren't found in, uh, I can't remember how she says it, but uh, they weren't charged with anything because they thought that, that it was an accident. They were just playing. Now, intentions, I don't you know. You never know. But they were not charged with anything. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And Beninga sent these kids <laughs> straight so what do you, what do y'all think? Do y'all think Bening Bening know was wrong? Because I'm just I, I'm I like I, mean, I like jokingly say like Bening Bening know wasn't wrong, but I'm also just like you did kill some children, but also they did kill your children. I'm not sure if an eye for an eye works here. <laughs> I think it's I think it's relatable. Like I could see it, but I mean if if the, if that were to ever be found out, she would be found guilty and put in prison. <laughs> yes. yes. I, I see it. I see it a little bit. Like we we see Laura lose her shit when she loses her child. And so, can you imagine if like Laura found her child's body at the party, <laughs> what she would have done instead of what she did do when she found out she was the one who actually killed him later on? Um, and so, I feel like in that moment of grief, because we all handle grief differently. I'm not saying anybody's methods are correct, but also we can't control them. So I don't know how I'm going to come down on Beninga, especially because I'm not coming down on Laura for killing herself in the end to be with a dead child. I, I get grief. I understand it. We all we all understand it. And so it's it's murky. I don't know. I Yeah, I mean, by no means am I advocating for the killing of children. But... Don't leave this podcast with that. Don't go out into the world and be like, Sheree, Trent, and Peter said killed them bitches. I don't want to testify for any of y'all. I won't do it. <laughs> yeah, so, I, and it's like, you know, in true morality is two wrongs don't make a right. But I, but again, I understand the emotion behind it. Let's just start a new hobby. Why, why don't we like paint our feelings? <laughs> start gardening. <laughs> My other question is if Beninga felt guilt because she took this job, knowing they were going to banish her child to the basement in a burlap sack. <laughs> so I wonder if she also feels like perhaps she could have been a better parent mm. and that's part of what's coming through when she punishes these children for accidentally killing her child. Also, how the hell did she get away with it? <laughs> is, is she the only one adult working there? Where no, was no other adult being like, where are all the children? Oh, they're all dead. Huh. <laughs> to be fair, kids are sickly and these are all orphans. They don't have parents to come in and be like, what happened to my child? So you have the other people who are handling however many children are in this home and doing all these other administrative things. So they're not just like, oh, that's weird. They all got the same flu. I think specifically, like, I think it's the it's the way in it's the it's the way in which Tomas dies that really drives Beninga to this because the whole point was that like the kid stole his mask and he and he went to hide in the cave and refused to come out because they wouldn't give him back his mask and so sort of like and drowns in high tide like I think I think it's just like the level in which like there are so many ways in which those children could have stopped could have stopped Tomas from dying that sort of drives her to this moment because like at what point were they just like maybe we should just what point did they decide to not give back this mask to this poor child who's trying to hide his face Mm. and is embarrassed and too embarrassed to leave his hiding spot because they took his mask and 
also as a parent guardian what level of that is on you because you've instilled so much shame in this child that they feel like they can't go into the daylight without a burlap sack on their head burlap burlap sack vodka a burlap burlap sack on their head <laughs> i think we found a new vocal warm-up burlap sack <laughs> burlap sack burlap <laughs> <laughs> but that's definitely a clear parenting fail if your child is like I'm gonna just hide in this creepy cave so people don't have to see my face because my mom says <laughs> no one has to see my face <laughs> right and that is pretty extreme like whew. so I don't going back to Benin I don't mm, I don't know she's, she's living in, in, in a weird moral I mean place. she does get her come up and I mean she does get ran <laughs> over pretty roughly she took a bus to the chest we're, her dad is done. Her dad is bus, it takes that bus. Like, how fast was that bus going? <laughs> this is the middle of the town. This isn't like out in the middle of nowhere. And it's going at least 60 miles an hour because it takes 30 feet for it to stop. <laughs> but also, she was like, I know what they want to ask me. And I will not. <laughs> Like that's some that's some huge auntie energy. It's just like I will not answer your questions. Catch me if you can, <laughs> and go for it with the she went down with the I I will never not see her face pieces in my head, and I'm upset about that. That's and you know face. that being the only real moment of like gore in this movie, I mean they did it well. Everything else was just like creepy and beautiful, but that was just like here's some of her teeth, and I was like no. I thought I was safe here. <laughs> but that and the mouse were my two vocal reactions to watching this. And I was happy I remember to turn my mic off when I was watching it with Amanda and Teddy. Because they oh, would have been was... like, what was that noise? <laughs> I was so nervous when that when So this is the moment when she's having to go through the second, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, treasure hunt or whatever. To, and she thinks she's going to find Tom, uh, Simone. But when that when the window falls and she's going, she's lifting up that thing and it's got the, the boards with their names on it. I was like, is she in the rat? I was like, is she about to find their bodies? And is this going to be like infested with rodents and like, ugh? but that was not the case. In the, <laughs> real world, in the real world, I don't do children, mice or snakes. So that was two of the three in this movie right there. And I can never go back. So I'm happy I watched it twice this weekend because I can't do this again. <laughs> yeah. All right. I want to talk about this, the ending, because um, it was rough. It was uh, emotionally rough. Not like it was still beautiful, beautifully made, but the fact, so she finally finds where Simone is and realizes that she is pretty much the reason that he died and she heard, she heard him die essentially. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. And then she did, she takes those pills to get as close to death as possible, but she does actually die, which I think the end of this could be potentially triggering to anyone dealing with the loss of a child. Um, because, I mean, suicide after losing your, finding your child's dead body, it, it, oh, it's a lot. Um, and I think they tried to uplifted a little bit in those last two shots with the dad and seeing the memorial and then him finding his necklace that he gives her and the door opening and him re him realizing that she's still with him I i'm not sure how successful it is at that because i'm still like yeah. real depressed <laughs> it gave the dad a 
purpose because I'm gonna fuck this up because I was drunk when Amanda said it to me and I'm a little bit drunk now. But like, there's a there's a school of thought where you die three times. Once is when your soul leaves your body. I heard the second one, which is having to do with the body. And the third one is when you're forgotten. And so I feel like the father remembering them and having these moments is his one sole purpose of this film. And I wish I had been a person enough to write it down when Amanda told me this. <laughs> um, or to have Googled it before I got drunk today. I could have, I could have not been this person. And Amanda, so- you're listening. Put it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's why, uh, I think that's, I think that ending is supposed to lean more into the tragedy of these children, of all of them, of Tomas and Rita and Martine and all of and all of those children of the orphanage was that and part and I think that's part of why maybe that's why Laura doesn't remember them is this idea that like they died three times because they were forgotten. Yeah. I, I feel like the father's slash husband's way of atoning for being an awful person this entire movie is that he puts their names onto this memorial with his wife and his sons and so they're remembered again and yeah. so that's kind of a weird beautiful thing even though he was worthless until this last <laughs> couple shots and so <laughs> I, it sort of answers the question of why is he here other than to fund this orphanage she needs to buy because she's have a job <laughs> what yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I, it's it's so interesting to me that the that the revelation is like that that a lot of people who watch this film like the revelation that that she killed him with the poles is the moment for them because for me the moment is when he van- is when she's holding him in the blanket mm-hmm. after she's played the game and you think she's got him and then I thought it, yeah and then the, bl- the blanket collapses and you realize like he is what we thought she was holding him the entire time and she was not I, the, the only thing this this rewatch that i had to remind myself about i was like there is no way that this child who's hiv positive has lived in this basement for six months or however long it's been at this point and still be alive. That's why when it, when she saw him, I was like, oh, I want him to be alive so bad, but I just, I don't see that happening. <laughs> because it's such a fantastical story, I was willing to go out on the limb and be like, time is weird in this weird basement. And so I was like, this little bastard been out here asleep the whole time. And then like the blanket was like, ha, and I'm like, oh no, he's been dead. I was right the first time. This is well, gonna hurt. I, and and I, then she reaction. sees him, she sees him and she puts the dots together of how, his death is her fault. And I was the like, poles. the fucking poles. Don't have your house under construction when you're having parties with kids in there. Don't do that. Don't do that. Another hot take from. <laughs> yeah, well, and I kept like, at that moment, I was like trying to justify in my head to like keep him alive. I was like, maybe Tomas is bringing him snacks and like keeping him alive. <laughs> Would though. Tomas is a friend. Tomas like, I've been in this basement before. I got you. I think that's one of the weird things about this as a horror film is like, I think by the end of most horror films, like, I'm just like, you know what? It makes sense that all these people died. You know what? Fine. I'm not, I'm, I'm here. I'm not necessarily, and like, am I satisfied? Sure. Am I emotionally attached to any of these characters? Not really. It's a fun romp. But with this one, it's just like you're there and you're just like because because of the way this is a horror drama or 
however we want to frame this like (laughs) you're still fighting for these characters by the end of it in a way that i don't think that 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 i don't think happens in so many horror films literally i love hate that she killed her son because usually in a horror movie you can be like oh this other entity or person did the thing and we have to fight against it but this was literally her trying to find her son throwing some shit into a closet and killing him and then going about her day and having to like live with that for a moment and so that adds a whole other layer to this grief that like a lot of us don't get because i'm i'm assuming a lot of us don't actually kill somebody we love i'm assuming that that's me and it could be incorrect and so i like to apologize for that but i feel like most of us we always have this other thing we can be like oh fuck this disease or oh fuck that person or oh fuck this incident but she was literally her cause and effect and so I love hate that because it, it it was literally the time where I was like, I didn't come here to feel feelings. Can we just give me another jump scare? And they were like, no. Yeah, and the, 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 this is essentially the story of two mothers who accidentally trapped and trapped their children. Yeah. Lori and Beninga have so much in common. I'm just going to watch. And that is a whole other movie in itself. <laughs> I'm upset about it, especially because, like, even like their trajectory, they're both dead by the end of the film. Um, <laughs> um, both of them cannot let go of what they had done to their children, whether or not one of them knew what she did to them longer than the other. <laughs> and so, like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. That's another reason this is a film and not a movie. I wouldn't be like, throw in some popcorn, let's watch this movie called The Orphanage. I'm like, this is a film. We need silence. Turn the lights off. What? <laughs> I'll take the tissues out. Right? No, it's a journey. Mm. Yeah. We've talked a lot this season about how genres get messy. Uh, I think this is one of the first horror dramas we've covered because it's usually a horror comedy, especially because we did a lot of American shit. And I think that that's just a very American thing to be like, let's dip into the comedy to make it fun and funny. Um, so what I've been appreciating about Del Toro's aesthetic is that there's like beauty in the horror as opposed to the gruesome horror because like this in The Devil's Backbone, which I wasn't supposed to watch before now, but I did. Spoiler. <laughs> um, I noticed that he also likes working with kids and he's like fantastical ghost film situations, which is why they have that long genre that Peter just found. What are all of the things in that genre, Peter? Let me pull that back up so that Thank I you. make sure that it is correct. It's Thank very you. specific. Super and I want to know how many films are in this genre. This is the only film in this genre. I would never just Del Toro films. If they're just like, we see his name, that's what it is. <laughs> okay. Spanish Gothic Supernatural Psychological Horror. That. That aesthetic. <laughs> it's, it's such an aesthetic. It's, it's really interesting that I'm in a, this is a super, a super nerd moment. But I think when I think of this film, one of the uh, one of the things that I'm drawn to, uh, and the aesthetic of all of these films within Del Toro's world, whether as a producer, director, writer, that sort of thing, is um, the mixture of the grotesque and the sublime, as we see in romanticism. Mm-hmm. Like how 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 like Victor how like Victor Hugo's argument in 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 One Piece is that like we can't understand beauty or the sublime without understanding the grotesque and how, and those, and those things are needed in order to have like this fully realized picture. I think this film lives in that very well. Like we have, 
aesthetically like you're watching this this is a gorgeous film but like there's also like, the grotesqueness of Beninga's uh, of Beninga's body in that one moment the real mm-hmm. the emotional realizations that you have the throughout throughout the film the reveals of who is uh, of responsibility and and where responsibility and culpability in not only not only Tomas to not only in um Tomas's death and Simone's death but in the death of all of these children at the orphanage like I think in each of those moments we're met with something grotesque and then at the end like we see Laura we, we see Laura surrounded by these children and she now can she she can now be the caretaker for these ghost children in such a beautiful and emotionally satisfying way. I'm like, right. Yeah. And you even you even see that theme within Meninga's um journey with Tomas and the fact that she in the world kind of refuses to accept his grotesqueness or his deformity. And so she puts a stack over it, which which inevitably kills him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. There's just so much to unpack. And that's another reason why it's a film and not a movie. This is art. This is literally, let's go watch it and talk about it for four hours in a coffee shop before 2020. Um, uh, like our Zoom the other day was forever long because afterwards it was just like, wait, hold please. Let's Google this. Let's talk about this. Is this a real thing that was happening? Do we think we know when this movie was set? And that is that is a level that we just we haven't had a lot of um this season and i hope we have more of next season Hmm. all right let's get into some hot takes so my hot take sort of sort of like lends itself to what we were just talking about but um my hot take is that american horror films can't and don't do emotionally fulfilling cathartic endings right like the way that americans are obsessed with quick we want quick, we want, we want immediate, we want, we want the immediate satisfaction. It doesn't, does, it doesn't allow for films like, for films like, like The Orphanage to exist in the American horror canon very easily because we want, because of that, necess- because of that. And, and because of that, we don't get the quality of acting in American horror that we get in this film because we're looking for quick and dirty. We want to, we want to, we want this in out. We want to, we want the answers. We want to know, we want a clean, happy, and we want a clean ending. It doesn't necessarily have to be happy, but we want it clean. We want all the bows tied. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you think about, because the American film industry is so preoccupied with the bottom line, how much money are we going to make? And if you look at what makes money, it's action films, it's Marvel films, it's, I mean, really, the only film in that's like one of the highest grossing, whatever, that is at all dramatic in any way, shape, or form is is Titanic, which that's a whole other thought process. But but if you look at what makes money, that's you know people don't want to feel things, <laughs> which sucks because we do end up with a lot of Transformers and a lot of like bad holiday rom coms, and I. It, it sucks for those of us who do want art because like this isn't even streaming anywhere where I can like watch it for free regularly. I had to like figure out who I want to pay to rent it from. Uh, and I'm like, why don't we have it on Netflix or HBO or even Shudder? And, and it's because unfortunately Americans are like, that was terrifying or I liked it. And then they move on and they want to see Shia LaBeouf talk to his car. And I'm just tired of being trapped in this country sometimes. <laughs> I am because we don't we don't get this here. We don't get this often, and when we do, it's immediately canceled 
or it doesn't get to like do anything else. It's like, that was a fun movie. They'll do something else. So the first time I watched this and I was not alone because Teddy and Amanda and I were all three like, we got to Google this real quick because the medium was saying that Simone was close to death, alluding to his HIV. And we were like, nope, we don't do that. Nope, nope, that's not how that goes. The second time around, it's much more murky what she meant. I think she talked about herself and possibly Laura. Like, I, I don't know, but it felt less like, well, your kid was about to die anyways, which is not the mood or the moment. <laughs> That's not medicine. So I'm happy I get to rewatch it because that would have been like my one record scratch in this entirely like perfect film. Cause I was like, I know you just didn't do that to me. We were having a damn good time. So yeah, I do think that helping, I think it would have helped us out to know the when the movie happened because we don't really, we don't really know for sure. So like, even when we did our like quick Google to be like, what is happening here? We had to be like, if it was like 90 this, or if it was 80 that, then perhaps, but also that gets into what do my characters know as opposed to what do the filmmakers know? And so that was like my one, my one thing I would question if I were to be like, I loved your movie, what was this? Right, and my, my hot take kind of comes off of that too. And I think my issue comes in more of the writing than the directing and acting. Because like I said, it's a beautifully made film, beautifully performed film. But I just have a lot of questions and I wanted more answers. I don't, you don't have to answer everything for me, but like they, they weren't super clear about a lot of things. Like where, when are we? What time, what time period is this? Because it looks like when dead children look like they're from like the 50s, 40s. I'm not super familiar with Spain, with Spain's culture anyway. So that could also be a, where I'm coming from too. What does Laura have? Because she was in this in, uh, adoption agent or adoption uh, place, orphanage, with children with disabilities, every other kid had a disability. You had the girl with the thing on her leg. You had the one girl that was blind. You had, uh, so they allude, and she's opening one for kids with disabilities. Ta- yeah, did she not know Thomas when he when she was a child, which I've already, we've already talked about. So this is supposed to be, two, thank you, Peter. It's supposed to be 2005. I just wish it was, I wish that was clearer because I did not get that. <laughs> I'm having a thought. What if Laura's thing was something that was fixed by like medicine or surgery, which is why she was adopted and the other ones weren't. So what if that's another reason why she was like, I have to go back because I was privileged enough to be able to be corrected or whatever you would say. Um, right. And maybe, cause like but, the medium does say she was close to death. And so right. maybe- and who, yeah, who is, yeah, who is the medium talking about? Is she talking about Simone? Is she talking about Laura? Is she talking about herself? All three? <laughs> well, I, well, um, I think it's well. I well, I think I think she's talking about herself because she pulls down and you see like the yeah. stuff on arms, right? Right. So I think she. But then she's holding it. She's holding it next to Laura's. Who I think there's also a sore on Laura's arm. Was I crazy? Was I seeing things? I didn't see a sore on Laura's arm, but the way that line was given, it made me think that she was like, "We're all in this club together." But maybe that's me overreading a line, and maybe that's why my hot take. And Laura's possible illness is murky for me in my head. Mm-hmm. Just be like a few little tweaks to the lines to answer a lot of our questions, you know, like, or, and like, did she not know Thomas when a, when she was a child, but the other kids did? That doesn't super make I a lot of sense to me. I after she left. I mean, maybe, I don't know. But it, she also didn't remember Beninga, but she's there in the picture with Beninga. And so he is there with them that time, you know, like, I don't know. I just get a lot of confusion with some of the plot points, but I think that's more about just little tweaking with the writing than anything else. 
Or the translation. Or that, I was just thinking that could be the translation thing too. That too. Yeah, because my understanding actually was that she is saying that Tomas is, that the reason why Tomas was able to see the ghost was because of his HIV diagnosis and that and that relationship with death was my was my understanding and that's why that's why none of the that that's why it takes so long for Laura to find anyone to find any of the ghosts because she has to she has to take all of these pills to become close to death in order to see any of these ghosts which is yeah that's true and you know and I was just thinking too about it being set in 2005 it does make sense because his HIV medication he's not taking a cocktail he's not taking like multiple medications he's taking one pill a day right mm-hmm. one or two something like that i think it's too giant um, I, I think it is too but either way it's not like because they used to have to take like four or five different medications in like the late 80s early 90s situations yeah i think it's also murky why she doesn't remember bunning bunning now or all these other or most of these other children <laughs> right <laughs> Um, and it could be it could be the translation too. That's very very true. Also, see Beninga being there towards the end of her time there because like we've all had that crossover people in just like college or whatever where we're on our way out and somebody's coming in and we interact with them a couple times and then we forget them, which would also explain why these kids probably found Tomas after Laura left because they were like this new person keeps going to the basement. Let's investigate. Right. And so I that one. I, I can explain away, but again, perhaps it was lost in the translation and that's why we don't have a definitive answer. Mm. I will say, so a funny story, because I, I have I have the captions on my Amazon account, which is what I watched this on, <laughs> which I thought I was going to have an issue because it being already translated and having subtitles. But at one point it said, speaking in Spanish. And I was like, no shit. <laughs> I really needed you to tell me that they're speaking in Spanish. Thank you, Amazon. You're the worst. <laughs> like Teddy picked up on something that I did not pick up on is which the medium is like super dubbed and so Teddy was like is that not her real voice what is happening and I was like I couldn't I could not tell and so like I, I definitely wanted to try and catch that this last time around but I watched it at night and so I was more worried about them kids and forgot <laughs> like really for that. Hmm. I've got to Google things because I'm a Googler and like I have to. Because you're a dramaturg. <laughs> um, and I'm like trying to, and like I'm trying to, why doesn't Laura remember? I did come up, there's uh, the director, Bayona, has a quote as to how he categorizes this film, which is really interesting. And he says, a ghost story doesn't have to be a horror story. That's the lesson I learned as a kid watching Spanish movies about the Franco regime. They deal with ghosts, with loss. Ghosts are something are something psychological, not related to visual visual effects. Everything in this script happens in the mind of Laura. Damn, that's the hot take. Um, <laughs> yeah. Woof. Woof. Yeah. I mean, I will say the reason why this film is so good, and I put it on here. I I need to like let this film sit a little bit before mm-hmm. I think I make any kind of final judgment, whatever that means, uh, quotation marks, just because there is so much to kind of take in and think about before you, you know, rate it or whatever. <laughs> Which is again, the sign that it's a film and not a movie <laughs> because nobody leaves Transformers going, I need to sit with these thoughts and themes. <laughs> We're all like, can we talk to this car for an hour and a half? Did I pay for that shit? And that was the order. Dre's favorite movie is Transformers. <laughs> I don't hate anything like I do a blockbuster, let me tell you. I'm like, you gave them millions of dollars so your car will talk to you and dance and you will give me 5000 <laughs> to produce my play. I see how it is. I see how it is. Enjoy your dancing car. I hope it sparks joy. 
Are you telling me that Cars and Transformers are in the same cinematic universe? I think they are. I think they are. Does Disney not own both somehow, some way? I would not be surprised if there was a crossover. Cars versus Transformer. But it's a horror film, so we'll have to cover it. Right? But there can't be blood because the kids. So it'll just be motor oil. And it'd be like, oh no, you hit me. I'm dripping motor oil oh i'm going back to space that's the plot it's easier to move that than it is to move anything i've ever written in my life but on that note (laughs) all right shrey (laughs) what do we have going on next week next week we're getting into the devil's backbone with miss amanda espinoza that's gonna be a good time there it is all right make sure you follow us on social media facebook instagram twitter you can email us gmail.com. Make sure you get those, get, let us know if you want to be a guest on season two. We're planning now. So also make sure you rate and review us on Apple uh, Podcasts. That really helps people find our podcast. If you enjoyed us, please write a short little review and tell everybody how fierce we are. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Peter, for joining us again. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> we shall have you back sometime. All right. I think that's all we got. Thank you all for listening. Stay fierce out there.